book here this morning. We're going to do verse one, first word, uh, <clears throat> one word this morning. And uh, I, <laughs> Ricky was asking me, what do we put the title as? I said, chapter one, verse one, one word. <laughs> but uh, it, it is, <clears throat> when we come to the book of Romans, uh, chapter one, verse one, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ to all the be in Rome, Beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that introduction sentence there, those first seven verses, are, are quite loaded and, and so forth. And again, as we've indicated, as we come to the book of Romans, and, and again, you come to a book that's a shock in the system as you've just been reading through the scriptures. Now you're going to come, first word, Paul. All right, well, who is that? Why is God now writing to the Romans, our, our mortal enemies? What's going on here? Rome, that, that picture of the satanic uh, policy of evil against the, the, the people of God and, and the word of God and against God's people and so forth. What, now, what is going on now? And yet he says, Paul a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. And as we begin to look at the book, there are several ways you can look at the book of Romans, honestly. You can look at it as just as it comes to us, which is what we're going to do. But also in your mind, have it be that picture of a courtroom. And when you go into a courtroom, you have players in the court. You have a judge, you have a prosecutor, you have a defendant, you have a petitioner and a respondent, you have a jury, if you have a jury trial, um, and so forth. Now, this trial will have no jury. There will be a petitioner, that'll be the Apostle Paul. A petitioner is someone who files a petition asking for a court for a ruling. Then you have the respondent. That's going to be humanity. That's going to be mankind. That's going to be the Jews and the Gentiles, as Paul is now going to address. So we have an introduction here to, uh, by the way, a respondent is someone who's in opposition to the petitioner. Okay? The judge, obviously, is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father and so forth, the Godhead, if you will. But as you look at and think about this, because Paul is going to begin to prove the case. He's going to begin to do, look over at chapter 3, and look at verse number 9. We're in that first pillar of the foundation, and Paul is laying out, again, you can look at this as a wise master builder. What does, a con, what does the contractor first do when he gets on the site? He's got to do what? He's got to clear the field, doesn't he? He's got to clear the site. He's got to get down and compact and get the, the site ready for laying in the goods. I mean, you can think about the, how Romans can present itself 
in several different manners. But if you look at chapter 3, verse 9, what then? Are we, and that's the Jews, better than they, that's the Gentiles, what then, are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before, notice that word, proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they're all under sin. You see that word proved? We're going to come in and we're going to present the evidence in a case, and we're going to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that everybody's a sinner. And he's going to do that in the first three chapters here of the book of Romans. And then he's going to come in with the answer, the last part of chapter 3. You know, when you, in, in math, when you prove something and you come up with an answer and you show your work, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> my, uh, I was in school one time. I hate math. I hated it. When they started making alphabet equal numbers, we were in trouble. You know, and I never enjoyed that class or classes. And, you know, I, I, I got the right answer, but the teacher said, you got to prove it. I said, why do I have to prove the right answer? It's the right answer. I got, no, I need to see your work. That's what Paul's going to do here. He's going to prove it. He's going to present the evidence. So when you come into chapter 1 now, in verse 1, that first word, Paul, again, a special situation going to happen here and we're going to begin to look at Paul this morning we're going to look at the author and we're going to set that scene uh, of the petitioner here he is and he is going to be the guy presenting the case he's going to be the the general contractor getting the ground set he's going to be that engineer that comes in and just gets it all together. However you need in your mind, you can think about this, and he's going to set that to case. Notice the verse very carefully. A servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. You notice that he was called to be an apostle. <coughs> He, an apostle, a sent one. He, he's, he was commissioned, and we need to recognize his place in history, in human history, actually. And God's dealing here with hum, humanity, and we're, we're not to dismiss him. And the folks that dismiss Paul actually create a very dangerous scenario spiritually for folks. And, and it's something that we need to be very careful of. And his apostleship is distinct. It's unique. He's going to use language that has never been used before in the scriptures. And when you think about the issue of being an apostle, God is the one that establishes the criteria to be an apostle. And yet Paul violated every point of it. And actually, God, when he called Paul to be an apostle, violated his own standards of, of the criteria of what it is to be an apostle. And you think about that, and that's right. So then, the, you know, that, by the way, that's the dispensational change. He had to dispensationally change the program that would then make Paul qualified to be called an apostle. Okay. And again, we don't worship Paul. Paul was just a man. But we do value what God has done with Paul. 
and how he has used him. Notice he's a servant. You know, a servant comes in and does the work that the master requires. He's called to be. He's separated unto the gospel of God. Notice that Paul was not separated to be an apostle. The verse doesn't say that. The verse says that he was what? Called to be an apostle. He, he's a separated apostle, yes, but he wasn't separated. He was called to be an apostle. He's not going to continue the doctrine that we've just been reading in the other 44 books about the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew to Acts, the Twelve, the Little Flock, the nation of Israel. He's, he's been separated out unto the gospel of God, but he's been called and an apostle. And that's something that we have to be very careful to remember how these verses read. I will tell you what, when we get into the issue there about the gospel of God, there's a lot of people that have a lot of misunderstanding about that because they narrow it down, and it really isn't to be narrowed. It's a broad term. It's a term that's used. And when we look into it, you'll see that. What is the gospel of God? Verse 3. There's the gospel of God. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The good news of God is a message concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the good news. That's the gospel of God. That's pretty simple. It's right there. Okay? It just happens to be that we preach Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. How did, how did Peter and the boys preach Jesus Christ? According to the revelation of the kingdom information and the, the Old Testament doctrine. That's all the gospel of God. What's the gospel of God? It's a wonderful message concerning his son, Jesus Christ. See, to me, that's pretty simple. But again, you get some knuckleheads out there, you know, and you got to work it through. But notice Paul, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Come over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to just notice some things here about the Apostle Paul and his apostleship. And just really what he says about it. Because Paul has to defend himself. Paul dies defending his apostleship. <laughs> it's amazing how for his life as the apostle of the Gentiles, every turn he's having to defend his apostleship. Chapter 15 and verse number 5. So we're talking about after the resurrection of the Lord. And that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. So after the resurrection, the, Peter sees him, then the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. So the, the apostles are seeing him. Then he says, then last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. 
For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Now, that's some tremendous insight into how Paul viewed his apostleship. He says, is the circumcision believing, the believing remnant, they saw the Lord first. Last of all, was I, I saw him. Now, that verse 8 has got a lot going on in it, and we'll dissect some more out of it maybe next time. <coughs> last of all, he was seen of me. The last person to see the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ was the Apostle Paul as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle. Notice Paul says, I persecuted the church of God. I was his enemy. Therefore, I am not meet. I'm not qualified. I do not qualify to be an apostle. God established the qualifications to be an apostle, and I don't meet them. Isn't that interesting? Paul says that. Most say that Paul's no different than the twelve. He's actually should have been the replacement for Judas. He's just the next guy. But yet, what does Paul say? No. I don't meet the I don't possess the qualifications to be an apostle. Isn't that interesting? That's fantastic. And yet we got whole denominations that say what? Oh no, he's number he's our he's continuing Israel and blah blah blah, you know. And it's like, wait a minute. Paul's own word says, I am not meet to be called an apostle. I don't meet the qualifications. Now come back to Acts and let's see the qualifications. Acts chapter one. <clears throat> Acts chapter one, we'll walk through this. And again, I'm, I apologize for my cough and my constantly clearing my throat and so forth, but I'm fighting this flu bug or whatever it is. And um, I had the week off from work, which was a good thing because I was able to pretty much stay in a comatose state most of the time. <coughs> <coughs> but if I take that cough pill, I got a cough pill. It, it mugs up my mind, so I didn't take it, you know. <clears throat> no, ma'am, no thank you. I, I'm okay. <clears throat> well, I'm not okay, but, you know, you guys knew that. So, <laughs> um, Acts chapter number 1, notice, if you will, verse number 3. Here, here, here's some, to get the, the scenario, to get the, the context. The Lord's talking here, to whom also he showed himself alive, after his passions by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, the Lord spends forty days with the twelve apostles, the eleven apostles, sorry, and he brings them, he opens their, he, Luke, he, he does what uh, Luke 24 says, he opens their eyes, he gives them understanding into the scriptures, they, they now begin to understand why he died and, and what was going on there and so forth. If you come over to verse number 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. 
So they see him ascend. He's been dealing with them, talking to them about the kingdom. That's why they would ask the question there in verse, in verse 6, hey, is it time to restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he's like, no, we've got some time. There's some timing things that got to get done. And you guys just need to go and occupy and do your job. And then when I come back, we'll bring the kingdom in. All of the movement here is to, to that effect. Now, come over to, chapter, to verse 15. They get, <coughs> they're, they're standing there. They're looking up. The angel tells them, you know, what are you doing? When he come, He's going to come back the same way. Let's, let's get on with the business here. So they go back into Jerusalem, verse 15, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. Now Peter is going to <coughs> call the meeting to order. There's 120 men there. <coughs> and he says, Hey guys, we got to do something here because Psalms 41 talks talking about Judas. Now, how Peter knows Psalms 41, and by the way, you go back there and read Psalms 41 and you go, how in the world did they, he know that's Judas? Well, what did the Lord just spend time doing with them? Oh, teaching them, opening their eyes. They, they're getting it, you know, hey, this is what needs to happen. So he said, verse 17, for he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, in, in as much, in, I'm sorry, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Al-Gadamah, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and, and his bishopric let another take. So he's get, he gives them all this information about Judas because what do they need to get back to? They need to get to 12. We're at 11. We're missing a number. We have to be 12. The Lord looked at them and said, you're going to be 12 thrones sitting on, you're going to be my 12 apostles sitting on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes, and we only have 11. We've got to get back to our number 12. <clears throat> Verse 21, Wherefore of these men... Which, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called uh, Barzabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. So we got, we got, we got 120 men sitting here, and out of this group, we're gonna, we need to get the next apostle. So in verse 21 and 22, he just gave you the qualifications to be an apostle. <clears throat> okay? You see them there, I hope. Verse 21. Wherefore of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in, in and out among us. <clears throat> So they got to be with him, don't they? But notice it's beginning from the baptism of John. There's Matthew 3. All the way to Acts chapter 1 verse 9 when they watch him go up. He's got to be there. He's got to be a part of the, the situation. He, he's got to 
He's got to be with us. And the replacement for Judas has to be with us all the time from when he went in and out among us. And we're going to start it at the beginning with John. And it's going to go all the way through to be the witness of the resurrection. Yes, ma'am. Ten. In Luke 24, Doubting Thomas is not there. Yeah. And Judas. Yes, ma'am. Come back over to Matthew 19. So you've got a long time in there. Now, when, when the Lord is with them, and he's going in and out amongst them, and it starts at... John's baptism, Matthew 3, and it's going to run all the way over to Acts chapter 1, verse 9. But notice some things in here just quickly. Matthew 19, watch verse 27. Matthew 19, 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Notice what the Lord what Peter says. <clears throat> what do we get for doing what? <clears throat> Following you. The Lord says, you know, you it's one thing to be in and around us. It's another to be following me. There were people that were in and around the Lord all the time that weren't followers of the Lord. So come over to Luke 22. So one of the criteria in being an apostle isn't just being a hanger honor. (laughs) It's being involved in what's going on. It's in following him. Luke 22. In verse 28, you see, it's the, the criteria, you're going to have to be with us since the Lord, since John's baptism, and you're going to have to follow him. You're going to have to forsake everything and be a follower of the Lord. And you're going to have to be witnessing, a witness of the resurrection. So when he goes up in Acts 1 verse 9, there's more than just the 12 guys standing there, the 11 guys standing there. The whole group is there. Luke 22, verse 28. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. The they there is, he's talking about the little flock. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto you, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Notice, ye are they which have, what, continued with me. You see, these guys, come over to John 15, John 15, these guys are, they're just not hanging out at the soda shop with the Lord comes by and heals a few people. They're with him. 
They are, they are studied under him. He's taught them. They've been listening. They've been doing. They've been an active part of the ministry. John 15, verse 27. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. There it is again. One of the requirements of being one of the apostles is that you have to bend with him from the beginning. And there they are. Now, come back there to 1 Corinthians. Well, you just go to Acts 8. Where was Paul during this time? Where was Saul of Tarsus? Well, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, didn't he? He's learning. To be a Pharisee, I told you Acts, didn't I? But go get Philippians. <clears throat> Philipp- yes, yes, ma'am, we are going to go to Acts. <laughs> Philippians 3. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I'm not qualified. I don't qualify. I don't meet the standards. I wasn't there in the beginning. I wasn't there at all. I didn't go in and out. I was just... I was just part of the system that he was blasting. (laughs) Philippians 3, uh, verse 4, 5, and 6, the end of verse 4, well, verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath thereof, he must trust in the flesh. I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He learned that law. He was a Pharisee. By the way, it's interesting that Paul associates religion with the lust of your flesh and fulfilling the lust of your flesh. And that's what religion does. You see, Paul says, hey guys, go back there to Acts 8. I wasn't there. I was not anywhere near him. I didn't for I didn't get up. I didn't th- forsake all and follow him. I didn't continue with him. I didn't go along. I wasn't there when John baptized him in the River Jordan and then follow him all the way down to Calvary. Paul was, if anything, Paul was probably sitting in the in the in the courtroom there when they were judging the Lord. Gamaliel was there. Paul would have been there with Saul of Tarsus. He would have watched that. He didn't raise an objection and say, oh, oh, wait a minute, guys. This is our man here. No, he signs on. Gets involved. Moving on up the ranks. You see, Paul doesn't qualify. There in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I was persecuting the church. I was an enemy. I was wasting it. But verse 10, by the way, but by the grace of God. (laughs) But the grace of God was bestowed. God does all this by his grace. God had to change the dispensation for Paul to be qualified to be an apostle. And that's what's important. And that's what's critical. And that's what we have to remember here. 
Acts 8, look at, look at Paul here. At the end of chapter 7, you have the stoning of Stephen. So we're at a crisis point in the nation of Israel's history. Politically, they've been set aside back under Nebuchadnezzar long ago. Here now, in Acts 8, Acts 7, they're going to be set aside spiritually. They're, this is where they fall. This is where the Lord reaches in and changes the dispensation in Acts 7. When Stephen looks up and sees the Lord standing, ready to come back. And there's a guy by the name of Saul there, there in verse 58. They cast him out of the city, 758, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Notice he's a young man, probably mid-30s. That's usually what the young, young man age is, early 40s. Lays them down at his feet. He's there. Acts 8, verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death. Here's what Paul was doing in that time period where he says you're going to continue on and you're going to do. <coughs> By the way, chapter 13, verse 9, Saul's name is moved to Paul. If you look at that, it's always been fascinating to me. If you look at 13, 9, how the verse says it. <coughs> In Genesis, Genesis 17, I'll just read this to you, verse 5. Abraham gets his name changed. Notice something, 17.5. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. That's a distinctive change. But look at 13.9 at Acts. Then Saul, who also is called Paul. Isn't that interesting? So it was Saul, Paul was his name. Saul, the Jewish part, Paul, the Gentile part. He doesn't have a name change. Abraham had a name change. Saul, Paul did not. We're just going to call him now by his Gentile Roman name of Paul. Now, I think, to me, that's fascinating. He doesn't say, oh, name change. Because, by the way, when a name change happens, there's some significant things happening doctrinally there, by the way. Peter has a few names. He's called Simon. Then he's called Simon Barjona. Then he's called Cephas. And every time he has a name surnamed out there he got something going on but here it's just interesting to me then Saul who also is called Paul filled with the Holy Ghost set his eyes on him and then verse 9 13 and when Paul and his company and then from that verse on 13 13 he's called Paul by the way it's the 13th verse the 13th chapter 13 is the number of rebellion. It's a Gentile number. Anyway, take it for what it's worth. Go back to chapter 8. <coughs> Paul says, listen, <clears throat> I'm not qualified. Here's what I was doing. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. 
at that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostle. He is leading the rebellion against God's people. He's the leader. He's the one that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, looked over and says, there's a young man full of zeal right there. Let's make him the general. Let's make him the leader. And he'll go do our bidding. And he will go and take care of business at every turn. Let's let him go. Let's let, we're going to get behind him. Verse 3. And for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. He didn't just knock on the door and say, hey, please come in. He's breaking the door down, running in, and he's taking men, women, and children, ultimately. <clears throat> and he's hauling them away to prison. He's the leader, chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus and to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? He's leading. He's not following. <clears throat> he took the initiative here. He goes to the high priest. Before the high priest had said, hey, we need this group taken care of. Okay, I'll do it. Boom. Now he's got enough gust, he's got enough backbone. He's in there going, hey, look, we go down there to Damascus. We heard our intelligence has told us, our spies have told us about a group in Damascus, and we need to go get them. Verse 5. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest isn't that interesting what did christ say you're persecuting me when you go after my little my my kids my people you're coming after me verse 13 <laughs> i love ananias verse 13 then ananias answered the lord <clears throat> i have lord i have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at jerusalem <laughs> Don't you know he's, could you imagine being Ananias and the Lord knock on your, your head and say, hey, you need to go down there and baptize this guy? <laughs> oh, oh, wait a minute. <clears throat> he, he's on their number. If I step outside the door, he's going to take my head off, you know. <laughs> he's done, but what, he, he's evil. He's wicked. He's enemy number one. Some have said that he fits the perfect picture and if the Lord hadn't intervened on the road to Damascus, that Paul would have been the Antichrist, and probably is a good case for that, because he fit both. And what's he doing? He's leading the charge. Come over to chapter 22 of Acts. <clears throat> As Paul stands and begins to recount the, these activities, he's going to... Stand here in verse 1, men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. 
Verse 3, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye are all, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> he reminds them, I went and did your dirty work. I was your hitman. As also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them, which were there bound into Jerusalem, for to be punished. He's not a friend of the church. He's an enemy. He says, guys, I went down there and I persecuted them to the death. Binding and delivering. I, we didn't care if there were men, women, or children. We just took them all. <clears throat> and you elders know I did that. He was blinded in a religious zealousness here. Binded by it, working at it, in a high-peached fever. Come over to chapter 26, as he stands before Agrippa. Chapter 26, verse 9, he says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to, to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly mad against them. I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Mad. He was enraged with them. He would look at, and, and these are other Jews. He, he wouldn't say, oh, there goes the Jew. He was like, no, there goes that guy believing in Jesus of Nazareth and kill him, kill him. See, Paul's own account was I'm not qualified to be an apostle. I was enraged. I was leading the charge. I was leading the campaign against them. So he couldn't be one of the twelve. There's no way. Because God had set the criteria to be what? You've been with me since the beginning. You've been a follower of me. You've forsaken all and followed me. You've been an eyewitness of my resurrection. Was Paul an eyewitness of the resurrection? Yeah, he was, because he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. Come over to Galatians chapter 1. You come out of the book of Romans and you, I'm sorry, the book of Acts, and you see where Paul begins to talk about some of this in his own words. You see, folks, when you come to the book of Romans and that first word is Paul, the Jews would have went, uh-oh, what in the world is going on now? Because they knew who he was. 
Because he was Saul, who was also called Paul. They would say, hey, what is God doing now? And would have put the big woohoo stop sign up. What's God doing now? Galatians 1, verse 11, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither delivered, received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Isn't that interesting? I was making money, I was counting the bounty, and I was exceedingly, I was ex- more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. You just look at Paul and say, hey, Paul, what's the 500th commandment? And he could quote it for you. He'd lay it on you. Boom. He knew it. He understood. When, they, when, they, when the Lord back there is getting on him about them talking about washing pots and pans and your hands before you eat, which isn't in the law, by the way, <laughs> and all that stuff. See, Paul was doing that. That was the traditions of the Father. And he says, man, I persecuted the church. Down in verse 23. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preached the faith which once he destroyed. Isn't that interesting? There he is. There's the road to Damascus happens, and now Paul's out preaching that Jesus is the Christ. And then that's why you got Ananias over there going, hey, uh-uh, man, I, that's a bad dude down there, man. I ain't going to him. Come on over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. You see, folks, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. God had to change the program in order for him to call to be called because he didn't meet the criteria. If you get that this morning, that's what I'm after. And by Paul's own words coming out of his own mouth, he says, I wasn't meet. I wasn't qualified to be that, that 12th apostle. But I am an apostle. And God, of this new, something new that God's doing. 1 Timothy chapter 1, you start in verse 12, and we've studied this out when we studied Timothy. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. What did the Lord say to him on the road? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? You're accountable, Paul, Saul. You're going to be held accountable for this, but I'm going to show you mercy. 
And I'm going to show you I, verse 13, but I obtained mercy. <laughs> verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. I'm, not that he's the worst, because he wasn't. You could leave a stack of $100 bills on the table with Paul in the room. It would still be there when you came back. Probably stacked up a little neater for you. He wouldn't have messed with that stuff. He, wouldn't, he wasn't the worst bad. He was the leader of the rebellion. In verse 16, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy. You know what mercy is? Not getting what you deserve. What did Paul deserve? Matthew chapter 12, being a blasphemer, he, his, what he deserved was no forgiveness. None at all. In Israel's program. But he changed, God changed the program so that he could then do what? Show mercy. I obtained mercy that. Why did I obtain mercy? That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him the life everlasting. <clears throat> I obtained mercy. I was the chief. I was leading Come back there to 1 Corinthians 15. I was leading the charge. I was leading the rebellion against God's people. I was out there wreaking havoc. I was out there cutting them down. You know, blow them down, Vernon. Vroom, he was. I, I was out there doing all of that. And then I met the Lord on the road to Damascus. And I obtained mercy. Stephen sees the Lord standing. When he stands, what's he to do? Pour out his wrath, his judgment. Paul doesn't get that. He gets what? Mercy, grace, and peace. He gets mercy. Paul says, he did all of that because I'm the first in the body of Christ. I'm the first one in. I'm the first. If you look there at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, he says, Last of all, he was seen of me also. I'm the last to witness the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am. And I'm the first guy in to the body of Christ. So when we come to Romans... Come back there to Romans, stop in chapter 11. <clears throat> By the way, there's a great thing there about being born out of due time. Maybe we'll look at it next time. It's too, too tight to do it this morning. If you look at Romans 11, and verse number 13, he says, Paul says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office thine office paul always magnified his office so when you come back to chapter one as we begin to to get into the verses we just got one word done paul a servant of jesus christ called to be an apostle he receives verse five his apostle his by whom we have received grace and apostleship The issue there 
an apostle separated under the gospel of God. Paul says, I wasn't qualified to be one of the twelve, but I am qualified to be your apostle, and I am. Now, there are other apostles in Scripture, by the way. Barnabas was, a, was an apostle in Acts 13. He's called an apostle. An apostle just means a sent one, someone sent <clears throat> with authority on the behalf of someone else. Titus and Timothy were apostles. Epaphroditus was an apostle. They were sent. Paul sends them. When you see Paul sending guys, he's sending them in his authority, in place of him. But he is the apostle. And that's important to gather. Come back real quick, Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> because he's the one that received the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? Then he preaches that information, teaches that information, writes that information down. Ephesians 3. If you look there at verse number 3, how that by revelation he made known unto me, that's Paul, the mystery. As I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So Paul received the information, writes it down, teaches it, gets it out into, into the public. Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets. Next word, by who? The Spirit. Now that's critical to remember because the Lord talked to Paul Paul communicates it out. The Holy Spirit comes and works with the Word to get it to everybody else. In other words, the Lord is not whispering in all the other holy apostles and prophets' ears. They're learning it from what? From the Word. And the Spirit working with the Word. And that's very important to get, to catch. Because what you have today is you'll have people say, I'm an apostle, and I'm getting a word from God. They're not. How's he giving it out to everybody else? By the Spirit. And the Spirit's going to work with the word, if you follow that. Okay? It's critical to see that. All right. So we got one verse, one word. We're not done with verse 1 yet, believe me. <laughs> okay? And my goal, honestly, is not to prolong this out, but it's also not to speed through this. And I understand, I look around the room, and a lot of you understand that Paul's our apostle and so forth and can do that, but it's something that needs to be, we need to be reminded of, and it's good to have the reminders, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and above all, we thank you for who we are in your Son. And we'll just give you the praise and the glory for that. In your name we pray. Amen.